welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. Let's have a look at Mark 8, verse 27 and 29. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he said to them, Who do people say I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are one of the other prophets. See, Jesus was a big deal, and a lot of people had a lot of different opinions about who Jesus was. Was and who they said he was. So some people said he was a great prophet. Other people said that he was a liar and a drunkard. Um, some people said he was demon possessed. Some people said he was a great, um, great teacher. Uh, other people said he was a blasphemer, a deceiver, and a liar. Other people said he was a friend of sinners. So there was a lot of opinions as to who people said or thought or believed Jesus was. And then Jesus turns to his disciples, his closest friends, and he says, who do you say I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah. And the Greek is you are the Christos or you are the Christ. Christ is is actually not Jesus' surname. Uh, A lot of people think it's like Simon, Drake, Drake's my surname, or Jesus Christ, Christ's surname. Christ is not Jesus' surname, it was his title. It meant Messiah. So we don't quite catch it in our Bible translations, but it should read Jesus the Messiah. What does Messiah mean? Someone chosen by God to bring salvation to mankind. God in the flesh. So Peter, um, Jesus was asking Peter, who do you say I am? Who do you believe I am? And Jesus said, you are the son of God. You are the rescuer of all mankind. That's who I believe you are. That's who I say you are. And the question is still relevant a couple of thousand years later. Who do we say Jesus is? There's a lot of opinions still about Jesus. Who do we believe? Who do I believe Jesus? Who do I know Jesus as in my life? Who do I say Jesus is to other people? I love um, C.S. Lewis, one of my all-time authors, and um, his, his adult books are a little bit hard for me to understand, um, but I love his kids' books, <laughs> The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. That series is one of my all-time favorites. I love this quote out of his book, Mere Christianity. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to admit the view that he was and he is God. And that's really the three choices that we have today about Jesus. He's either a liar, he's either a lunatic, he's deceived, or he was and his who he said he was and is, that he is Lord. Who do we say Jesus is? And it's actually a big deal. Jesus claims about himself the foundation of all of our Christian faith and, and a lot of the um, the. The way this world runs, the foundations of, of, of the countries are based on, on 
Jesus actually being who he said he was. Some of his claims were absolutely outrageous if they weren't true. First of all, Jesus claimed to be God in human form. In John 8, 58, it says, Jesus said to them, I give you this eternal truth. I have existed long before Abraham was born, for I am. That phrase, I am, um, everyone knew that that was the name of Jehovah. That's what Jehovah called himself. So Jesus was saying, before anyone was born, even Abraham, I am, I was, I am God. That's why the very next verse, everyone picks up stones and they try and stone him because he's saying that he is God. Jesus claimed that he was God. Secondly, he claimed to have authority to forgive sins and only God has the authority to forgive sins in Luke 5 verse 20. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to them, son, your sins are forgiven. And then they said, who does this man think he is? The Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to each other, this is blasphemy, who but God can forgive sins? Jesus claimed that his followers could have a relationship with God, that we could be his close friends. So the the general belief of the day, because there was a lot of gods that everyone worshipped, was that gods um, used humans as playthings, that they were always angry that you needed to sacrifice everything to them, else you would be punished. And yet Jesus is saying that we can be friends with God, that we can have a close relationship with Him. In John 15, 15, it says, I've never called you servants because the master doesn't confide in his servants and servants don't always understand what the master is doing. But I call you my most intimate friends. God is calling us his most intimate friends. Isn't that phenomenal? He said he was the only way to heaven. In John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So a lot of people were pointing at Jesus and a lot of people still point at Jesus and say that He is a way to find truth. He is a way to find enlightenment. He is a way to find peace. And Jesus is pointing at Himself and say, I am the only way. Now, a lot of people say that that's narrow-mindedness Truth isn't being narrow-minded. If I was to, um, to climb up on the roof um, with, with you this morning and say, don't jump off, because if you jump off, you're going to probably have some broken legs. And then if you were to say, Simon, that's just being narrow-minded. Truth is not being narrow-minded. <laughs> truth is truth. I could take you to the ocean and, and put some um, cinder blocks around your ankles and, and say, you're going to drown. And you might say, well, that's being narrow-minded, Simon. Uh, no, it's not. It's truth. You need oxygen to breathe. <laughs> truth is not being narrow-minded. Jesus was not being narrow-minded. He was just telling the truth. There is a lot of <laughs> extra biblical evidence that Jesus was real. The Church of England did a survey in the UK um, back in 2015, so six years ago, and all the people that they surveyed, surveyed over 40% of them didn't believe that Jesus was an actual person. And yet there is so much extra biblical, which means outside of the Bible, evidence that Jesus was a real person. Um, you can almost make up the gospel out of what the historians wrote about Jesus and they lived at the time, and they were recording history. Josephus, the historian, wrote that Jesus was called the Messiah. Eliezer, the historian, said that Jesus claimed to be God and that he would return. 
Pliny the Younger, uh, he was a historian, he said his followers worshipped him as God. Tacticus said Jesus performed miracles and led Israel into new teachings and was crucified on Passover for them. Jesus was a real person. Lastly, Jesus claimed to rise from the dead and to still be alive. Now, if that wasn't true, then, then Christianity is a complete fallacy. It's the greatest conspiracy of all time. So Jesus made a lot of claims, and they're evidence that actually demand a verdict. When we're faced with some of these thoughts, we need to make a decision. Was he a liar? Did he know that he was just a fraud um, and that he was deceiving the world? Um, was he deceived to think that he was actually who he said he was? Was he a lunatic, or was he actually Lord? And just as C.S. Lewis came to that conclusion and gave his life to Jesus, making him the Lord of his life. We are challenged with the same thing. So was he a liar? Either Jesus was telling the truth or he wasn't. If he wasn't who he said he was, he was either deliberately lying or he was deranged enough to believe what he's saying, what he said was true. In Matthew twenty-two fifteen, 15, it said, Then the Pharisees met together to think of ways to trap Jesus into saying something for which they could accuse him. See, they couldn't dig up any dirt on Jesus. Now, we, we understand that when um, elections come around and with the politicians, they start um, conjuring up smear campaigns and they dig into people's history. And even if it's like 30 years ago and pretty embarrassing, they will dig it up and bring it to the, to the, the forefront. Um, and, and everyone will see the, the embarrassing moments in their lives. They couldn't find anything about Jesus. So they got together and they were thinking of making up ways to how to trick him. They couldn't find any dirt on Jesus at all. If you're a liar, people close to you soon realize that you are lying. And Jesus hung out. He, he lived with his disciples close quarters for three years. Um, the Middle East is, is a very communal, very social society. I don't know how introverts survived back in those days, but everyone is, is around everyone all the time. If you were a liar, people would find out. There's a man called um, Lance Armstrong. He won the Tour de France cycle race, I think, for seven years or seven times. And for like all those times, he was on, on steroids, he was on drugs, he was, he was doping himself up. And he would go on interview after interview saying, I'm not taking any drugs. People would um, accuse him of, of taking drugs and he would take them to court and sue them. Um, and he was denying um, everyone was, was wrong, that he was truthful. The thing is that everyone close to Lance Armstrong absolutely knew that he was lying. He was making up lies um, to cover up his lies, to cover up his lies. It became a, a ridiculous Russian doll situation. The, if someone is lying and you are close to them over time, you will know that they lie. There is no way around that. And yet 11 of the 12 of Jesus' closest friends went to their deaths because they believed 1 million percent that Jesus was who he said he was. He, he, there's no way Jesus can be a liar. John 8, 46 Jesus said, which of you can truthfully accuse me of sin? He challenged the world. Can any of you guys find anything wrong with me, anything sinful in me, anything lying about me? Jesus, uh, sorry, Pilate in John 19, 6 says, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Jesus was not a liar. 
There's no way he was a liar, which brings us to just a couple of other options, that he was either a lunatic, a madman, or he was Lord. So let's have a look at, see if he was a lunatic or not. Even non-believers regarded Jesus as a great teacher in his time, and they still do. And you read through the, the Bible, the, these men that were incredibly intelligent and that they grew up their whole lives immersed in, immersed in the scholarship of the Torah, of the Old Testament, they couldn't win any argument against him. They couldn't debate with him. Even as a, as a young man, Jesus was, was so good uh, at what he did. There's no way that he was a lunatic. Jesus' teachings were moral and ethical, there is no way he was the least but mentally unstable. His life and his words prove it. And there was no flaw in his character at all. And again, if you spend time with people and they're a little bit unstable, if they're a little bit deceived, you will discover that over time. There was a, a huge Middle Eastern New Agey cult in the 1980s that sort of transplanted themselves from India to Oregon, I think it was, um, led by an Indian guru called Osho. And this was, was huge. Um, they took over the town there and there were protests and, and everyone was wearing orange. There was thousands upon thousands of people there and they preached love and they preached forgiveness and they preached that everything was peaceful and that you just got to love everyone and everyone on the surface thought that it was good, but just under the surface... Um, Osho was a sexual abuser. He had 90 Rolls Royces. Uh, when the police finally closed down or, or moved in to close down the compound, they found st stockpiled weapons. Um, the list goes on. These guys uh, poisoned, what, 750 townspeople with salmonella. Um, they brought in homeless people, 3,000 of them, to boost up their numbers. Um, and they, they were medicating them and keeping them drugged. And they didn't know about it. See, it doesn't take time when you're around people just below the surface, the cracks begin to appear. And if they are mentally unstable, if they are deranged, if they are a pervert, it will show. Never showed with Jesus. There's no way he was a lunatic. In fact, when people were just around Jesus, they were so convicted of their sin. In um, Luke 5 verse 8 Simon Peter realized what had happened. He fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. He was so convicted of his lifestyle and his sin that he just, it, Jesus deeply affected him. Jesus was not a liar. Jesus was not a lunatic. Just some other things to think about here. Fulfilled prophecy. There are um, well over 100 prophecies directly dealing with the Messiah in the Old Testament. And very, very specific, for example, um, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, that he would be crucified, that he would die with the wicked, but he would be buried with the rich. So there is a lot of these, and there is a lot of books written about it. And Jesus fulfilled them all. And you may think, well, that, that's okay, but just when you start to look at the probabilities and the maths of how feasible is that for someone to, to fulfill all the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah like Jesus did, um, 
precisely in every way? What is the possibilities? There's a guy um, that, that did the maths on this. His name was Professor W, uh, Peter W. Stoner was his name. <laughs> and he was a mathematician. So he estimated that the number of electrons, which are those things inside atoms in the whole entire universe, is around 10 to the power of 80, which is like 10 with 80 zeros behind it. So just to get you thinking before I say this next quote, just imagine all the atoms in the whole entire universe, smaller than that, all the electrons um, in the whole universe is 10 to the power of 80. So 10 with 80 zeros. So he started working out the probability that one person could fulfill all the prophecies about the Messiah like Jesus did by chance. He got up to like 48. He he said, I'm just going to work with the top 48, the most common of them. And this is what he found out according to the mass. We find the chance that any one man fulfilling 48 prophecies concerning the Messiah to be one in 10 to the power of 157. So twice the amount of electrons in this whole universe, if you were to sort of bundle up all the electrons and put them in this room, I don't know if this would work, and just think, okay, I'm going to pick out one. That's how it would work by chance. And this is what he said when he comes to his conclusion, and this has still never been refuted. Any man who rejects Christ as the Son of God is rejecting the fact proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the whole world. Evidence that demands a verdict, fulfilled prophecy. What about Jesus' name being a swear word? Have you ever thought about this? You never hear someone saying Muhammad's name is a swear word or Buddha's name is a swear word. Or Shiva's name is a swear word. You never hear it even in other languages. So why is it that the only name that we ever hear being used as a swear word is the name of Jesus Christ? Now, if I was Satan, that would make sense because all these other gods are false gods. The one true God, that's the person that I'd want to offend and blaspheme given any chance. So I would take that one person's name and I would take that. It's, who are these other false gods? No big deal. The one true God, because the one true God threw him out of heaven. The one true God knows, knows what's going to happen with Satan's eternal destiny. That's the God I would want to blaspheme if I was Satan. Evidence that demands a verdict. Well, persecution of Christians is something that we really hardly hear about in the West And I'm really excited for next week. We've got Open Doors coming, and they're going to talk to us about the persecuted church. You know, we've got a huge responsibility as the Western church to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ um, that are being persecuted right now. But in May 2019, there was a BBC article entitled, and this is what it's called, Christian Persecution is Now at Near Genocide Levels. And it's something we hardly hear about, but in a lot of places in the world right now, Christians are being killed almost at genocide levels. It's evidence that demands a verdict. What about miracles? Miracles that happen in the name of Jesus, where people get prayed for in the name of Jesus, and miraculous things happen, things that you can't explain um, going the scientific route, a supernatural intervention happens because someone prays in the name of Jesus. And uh, let's just have a show of hands. If you've uh, directly had a miracle that you know is a miracle um, in your life, or you know a friend or family member that's been prayed for in the name of Jesus, and they've had a breakthrough and a miracle, let's just raise our hands. You look around, keep your hands high. 
That is like 95% of us. Isn't that incredible? And lastly, evidence that demands a verdict. What about changed lives? And most of us here in this room, just, just remember what your life was like before you met and had an encounter and gave your lives to Jesus. Now, I know some of your guys' stories, and you've told me that you doubt that you would be here right now if it wasn't for Jesus. Now, I, I was privileged to, to grow up in a great Christian home, but I remember what I was like as a young person compared to now. I'm a completely different person. Probably the greatest miracle of all is how Jesus completely changes our lives. Once we were depressed and oppressed and lost and broken and hurt and hurting others, empty and shamed, and then Jesus comes into our lives and he makes old things new. Greatest miracle of all when he takes a broken heart and he exchanges that for something good and whole and forgiven and clean. Evidence that demands a verdict. So, liar, I do not believe that Jesus was a liar. Lunatic, I do not believe that Jesus was a lunatic. Which leaves us with only one conclusion. Was he Lord? There's a guy called Blaise or Blase. I'm not sure how to say French. I don't know. His last name was Pascal, I can say that. Let's just call him Pascal. Pascal's wager is a suggestion posed by the French philosopher <laughs> that even though the existence of God cannot be determined through reason, a person should wager as though God exists because living life accordingly has everything to gain and nothing to lose. Put another way, if God does not exist, one loses little by believing in him and gains correspondingly little by not believing in him. If God does exist, however, one gains everything by believing in him and loses everything by not believing in him. So when you think about the question, lunatic, liar, or Lord, it becomes, our answer becomes something of significant importance, eternal significance. Because we're all going to be alive forever, it just depends on where we are going to spend eternity, in paradise with God or in hell. And we need to think about that. So back to Mark 8, verse 29, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And I'd like to present the question to us this morning on this Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, 2021. Who do we say Jesus is? Who do we believe Jesus is? Who do we know Jesus as? Is he Lord and is he God? Once Jesus had been resurrected, um, he started showing up to people. Um, and Thomas, who was one of the disciples, he said, I'm not going to believe unless I can see Jesus face to face and I can put my hands on his hands where the, where the holes were in his side. And Jesus shows up. And then Thomas has this incredible encounter with Jesus and he says something amazing in John 20, verse 28. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. So if you were to ask Thomas, who did he say Jesus was? He would have said, Jesus is my Lord. And Jesus is my 
God. What do those two words mean? What does Lord mean? It's kurios, and it means he to whom a thing belongs. So when Thomas was saying, he is my Lord, he was meaning, I give my life to Jesus. Jesus is now my Lord. Jesus has lordship on all of my life. I am his now. Jesus is not just a Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And what did he mean by saying that he was my God? It's theos. It means the one and only true God. So what Thomas was declaring is, Jesus, you are the one true God. I believe in you. I believe that you are who you say you are. And I give my life to you. You are the Lord of my life. Thomas was saved. And that's really how we get saved today, a few thousand Years later, I'll finish with this story. In 1965, Yale um, performed an experiment um, and they really wanted to get people um, to be vaccinated from tetanus, um, which is a bit of a relevant thing about now. Uh, not tetanus, but vaccinations. Uh, so they got together, they decided what is the best way to um, really encourage um, and influence people to take the tetanus shot. So they got two booklets together. One was sort of based on knowledge and facts and figures, and the other one was much more uh, emotional. See, one, of, uh, I guess, was, was written for people that were more intellectual. The other one was people that were more emotional. So there was pictures of what happened when people had tetanus and stuff. And um, then they got people to um, say which one was more effective. And a lot of people said, well, the emotional one was more. But the, the fascinating thing was, even though they were convinced and even though they were impacted, almost 0% actually as a result went and got vaccinated. So they were told the truth, they were presented the truth um, in a couple of ways, but they didn't do anything about it. And then the people that were doing this experiment blew their minds. And they decided to change one thing. They added one more page into the booklet. And the only thing they did was put a map to where the clinic was and the times it was open. And they basically said, if you want to be vaccinated, then this is where you go, and this is what time you go. And just with that extra little bit of information, how to um, put what they learned into practice, what was the next step, then the numbers of people getting vaccinated just increased exponentially. Now, you've been presented this morning with a whole lot of really good stuff, if I do say so myself, <laughs> about who Jesus was and who Jesus is. And we're presented with something that, you know, we need to make a decision. And I know the Bible says that we need to count the cost, so we actually do. If you're not ready to make this decision, then please continue to count the cost. But I do want to tell you, give you a, a pathway what to do next. Simply just confess that Jesus is your Lord and that Jesus is your God. That's really all we need to do. There was a jailer uh, and Paul and Silas, um, there was an incredible God moment and the jailer said, what do I need to do to get saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe uh, means just to stick to like glue. And it's that simple. One of the, the saddest things I think that will be in the entire universe is people that live their whole lives and they're presented with incredible information about the gospel and they never do anything about it. Please don't live your whole life, life thinking, well, I need to do something about it, but never ending up doing anything about it. Today's the day. Now is the day of salvation. 
when in your heart you just need to say, Jesus, I'm making you my Lord and I'm making you my God. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and he is God. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.com.